0: Could you imagine giving away tens of millions of dollars? Could you imagine getting paid to give away tens of millions of dollars? That probably sounds like a dream job for many people. And it was for Dan Koval. And that is until one day when he decided to, to do the unimaginable and he left. Now instead of giving away money, Dan's new role puts him across the table where now he's the one asking for money. In episode 21, Dan and I talk about the power of developing relationships how being a lifelong learner can literally take you anywhere in the world, and the value of showing up every day and giving your best. Now, as always, I want to thank you for your support by listening and sharing this podcast with others. Let's get into the conversation. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Confidence Covered by Humility podcast. I'm your host, James Mayhew, and on this podcast, we talk about what it takes to lead a company, uh, a small business, a team, or even your home with humble confidence. And as you know, oftentimes I have a guest. Every month we have a guest on. And today I have a really fascinating guy. I think you're going to really enjoy the conversation we're going to have. I know I am. Dan has got a great sense of humor. He doesn't take himself seriously. And I just love what he's about. And so I want to introduce Dan Koval to you. Uh, Dan is a I love this bio. And Dan, you, you know, feel free to jump in here, (laughs) but, but here's the, here's the bio. He wrote two time college dropout educated in the school of life. When seeking my own way, I was lost. When I finally asked God for help, God met me where I was love that i think that's great Mm. dirt and grass dog bites data entry discovering the world i have literally done it all but now it's my time to give back and make a difference i left the corporate world for an opportunity to impact my community through nonprofit leadership and boy do i have some stories to share dan that is the best bio i just love it welcome to the show my friend
1: thanks james really appreciate it i was I was trying to figure out at first, like, oh, can I find my like old, like corporate bio? Cause yeah. again, I was in, I was in corporate America for 16 years. I went from driving a truck at UPS, slinging boxes to working in a corporate environment for the first time. I, I, I literally had never seen a cubicle before in my life. <laughs> and then all of a sudden I was working in one. And so it was a huge transition. And then that, you know, I have this really nice, like, couple paragraph corporate bio and I was like, no, that's not me anymore. I'm not, I'm not that person anymore. And so I needed to do something. So I kind of wrote that off the cuff for you yesterday or whatever. And I was like, this is fun. This is probably who I am. Yeah.
0: Yeah. No, it's, it's what, and you know, when I read it, that's the funny thing is you, you have a great presence on LinkedIn and we've been connected for probably, I don't know, maybe a year, maybe Mm -hmm. a little less than that. It's kind of hard to, to tell. But but what I love about your bio is it seems really authentic to what I see you post about. And you do a lot of humorous stuff. A lot of your posts are, you do a lot of video. And mm-hmm. um, it's always got this little hook. And you you are kind of a master at, at pulling people in with this intriguing hook or this intriguing line. And, and uh, I just love it. I think it's real authentic to who you are.
1: Thanks. Yeah, I'm definitely a showman by experience. The youngest of three kids. And so, growing up in the public school system, right, you had, you kind of had two choices. You were either a nerd or a clown. And I didn't like to study. So, you could tell which way my personality (laughs) went was to being the class clown. And it just, just by the sheer nature of being the youngest kid and having a fight for attention at home, you know, I, I have two boys. And so, my older one is like, the one that follows all the rules, and the younger one is the one that tries to break all the rules. And I'm like, sure. I can only I can only imagine if we had a third, what that would be like. And I'm like, I'm glad right. we stopped when we did. Um, but yeah, that's just it's just who I've become. And so, I like attention. I definitely it uh it feeds my pride and ego, which I need to be mindful of very very often. Sure, and I have oh, to remember, yeah. right? Remember the the humility that I need to need to walk in. And so, it's riding that fine line between what is effective to genuinely capture someone's attention to be able to tell them something impactful as opposed to making myself just look good for the sake of looking good. So you you recently went through a job change. Mm -hmm. Tell us a little
0: bit about the, the, the job that you held and what you're doing now and how those two things are different. And
1: then we'll get into the content here. Sure. So I worked for a engineering software company, uh, Bentley Systems for 16 years. I came in as a as a data entry temp, worked through did some technical support for a few years, did some internal IT work. Through that was highly involved in volunteering through their outreach in the community and was handed the responsibility of managing all their corporate giving around the globe. And so for the last seven years, that's what I did. I managed multiple millions of dollars, giving away to over 400 organizations annually, funding things from local preschools, having science lab kits to large universities endowed professorships. And so the whole gauntlet of a couple hundred bucks here to a million dollars there, sorts of things. And so... Like, like you said in my bio, I've been on almost every continent, which I guess I'm now done a lot of my international travel. But uh, just having the ability to impact entire countries throughout my my career and then just feeling like God kind of said, you're, you're done here. And there's some interesting stories around that um, and just kind of transitioned me into the 180 degree reverse where now... I'm the director of development for a local nonprofit, not Mm -hmm. small in terms. I mean, we have a couple hundred clients we serve on a daily basis and folks that were genuinely making an impact in the community. But now it's my job to ask other people for money, which is interesting because I know the wrong ways to do it. Sure. I'm just not, I'm just not quite sure yet of what the right ways are of doing it yet either. So because I've I've had my fair share of bad appeals, and so I know <laughs> I know how not to do it. It's just a matter of figuring out how to how to how to genuinely engage with someone and find out what it is they're looking to do and achieve with their investment and how we could be the right fit. We could wow. be the wrong fit, but we could be the right fit too. Wow. So
0: again, um, just kind of reflecting on on what you were saying, you to me sound like you had one of the most interesting or unique slash amazing kind of jobs there where your job is to go literally give away
1: millions of dollars. Uh, Was that difficult? It wasn't because, well, it it was because it wasn't my money. And there's, and there is a lot of ease and opportunity to give someone else's money away very haphazardly. Oh, this is this is fun. This is cute. This is interesting. Well, I'm just gonna throw money at this problem and solve it, right? Because yeah. it's not it's not my money. But it was so being able to make sure I was stewarding their finances well and treating it in that in that way, and then for because the company had done it for so long, right? The company's been around for almost 40 years. It'll be 40 years, I think next year. So th- okay. that's. That's their mantra. The the founders, the family, the brothers that started the company, they always gave back. And so I walked into a framework, though it wasn't written down, it still was there of different avenues and channels in which they're like, we we fund these things intentionally. And so it was just kind of like a, working people through a flowchart. My answer um, was never, no, it was not yet or not here. And so it's finding matching people to the right part of the pie of funds that we had to, to allocate and just trying to figure out like, okay, you're interested in XYZ organization. Okay. That doesn't fit here, but doesn't fit there. And so being able to kind of help Sherpa people through that process of saying, okay, like I can't meet you in this location, but if you can get over here, I can meet you here. And so it was easy because there was the framework in place. It sounds a little bit like
0: almost some of the, uh, things that that I've learned about with sales. I mean it, what you were just describing there sounds like a little bit of negotiation even.
1: Yeah. And I think it was it was really interesting for me to be able to approach it from that side because so being on the the funding side of the table my experience with other funders is they just had a checklist and they had like it, it was very like this is my money you need to like come and appease me and make me want to give you the money. Mm-hmm. whereas I saw it as, this is a great opportunity. It's my responsibility to make sure all of this money clears out of the bank account by the end of the year and so that we can re-up it for next year. And then how can I find the right folks to give this money to? Where can I make the biggest impact, impact with that money? And I was always on the look like who 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 needs this money who can benefit from this money where can where can we get the best return on our investment not because we want to look good but because we want our money to work as effectively as possible and so I was able to kind of take a different approach I think than most folks because again the framework was there it was just I was responsible for stewarding it well
0: Okay. So I got to ask, it sounds like a ton of responsibility to, to give away other people's money. And I, I, the the thing I'm just sitting here going, did you screw it up
1: once or twice? Did you, did you do something where you kind of felt like a little (sighs) reprimand? (laughs) Um, I mean, I wasn't just completely off to myself to do whatever I wanted. There were certain, I mean, again, walking into something that had been around for over 30 years. The first thing I was told my first day was, hey here is this list of relationships we have don't screw them up yeah right yeah. there they're organizations that the company's been investing in for decades literal mm. decades and so it's like hey don't don't break that one right go go make sure that one continues um, there was one time where I I fat fingered a, a bank account number and we oh. accidentally put sixty thousand dollars in the wrong account and weirdly enough the person of the owner of the wrong account never said anything about it <laughs> but we did get the money back. We got to put it in the right account eventually. Sure. Um, but most of the mistakes were were around that, just like where the money actually wound up, or if it wasn't in the right place. Um, not not so much that there was ever really a situation where I, where I said, "Hey, I want to give to this organization or I want to fund this organization," and then like the executives find out and they're like, "No, you can't do that," right? Because one of the one of the overarching principles of the organization was they give money. Where their employees or they call them colleagues, where their colleagues serve. and so the understanding was if there's someone there serving at a leadership level, then go give them money. you know the the amount always changed, but as long as there was that relationship, I was safe to give to that. and so it was really easy. I mean there was a bunch of people doing a lot of great stuff all around the globe, so it's it's easy to find lots of places to put money when you've got five thousand coworkers that are all doing really great stuff. So,
0: well, it just it just seems like such a fascinating, um, you, you know, thought. I I can't say that I have a client. I, I do have experience around some philanthropy, um, but not at that kind of level. Not where you're just literally saying, "Hey, I'm going to give you a budget. It's got a bunch of zeros behind it. Go give it away. Empty it out by the end of the year." It, it just it's intriguing to me. And so now, if we could kind of talk about, and we just talked briefly, um, Mm -hmm. prior to hitting record today, what's been the transition like to now asking for money? I know you mentioned it at the beginning here, uh, you're not exactly sure what's the right thing. You know what some of the wrong appeals are, but how has that helped you? I guess you're brand new at this, but how is it going to help you going forward?
1: Yeah, I think, So one of the things, I'm going to take a half a step back. One of the things that I think that a lot of organizations do incorrectly or do short-sighted, maybe that's part of the better way of stating it, when they think about giving. They think about giving from the marketing side as opposed to the impact side. And I think when you find those relationships where your mission really aligns with what that organization is doing. So whether you are a local pizza shop, and you want to give to a local soccer club, that makes sense, right? There's, there's the commonality of, of, of the locale. Or you're a large car manufacturer giving back to high school driver ed programs or safe driving practices or mothers against drunk driving, right? You find that thread where you develop the relationships that it makes an exponential impact when you two work together. And so Bentley did a really good job of doing that, is finding those organizations, not just because it's where people serve, but because of what they did and who they were, where they were intentional with their investment. I feel like a lot of companies give for the sake of giving to almost greenwash a problem, right? We want to just, we want to look good. We want to save some money on our taxes. If they're, you know, US based. And we want to be able to tell people we did something good, right. um, you know? And so I think for me now, Knowing that there are organizations out in the world that want to participate in the community, it's a matter of finding those ones that see the value we bring, see the opportunities our clients can have, and being able to marry those two things together. Right? Like when I suckered my wife into into dating me back when we were high school teens. You know, I wasn't trying to date twenty five girls at the same time. I honed in and said, Hey, I think you're special. I really like you, you know, and we developed a relationship in that same way. I'm going to try to find those companies, you know, a a large multinational engineering software company is probably not the one that would come to the top of my list. However, Bentley is the Bentley systems is the reason I'm here is because they do give because they have participated personally in this organization and its mission. Right. And so, It's finding those connections, developing those those relationships, just like sales, like you said. But it's the beauty is I get to use heartstrings to Mm. develop that relationship, right? Like I have I have a secret sauce. It's oh, you know, your product might be great, your software may save time, your AI might be cutting edge, and that's awesome. Until the next one comes along, there's not that there's nobody else doing what we do. But you know, the guy Jackie that works down in one workshop. There's only one Jackie. And so being able to share Jackie's story in the way that he recently saved us a ton of trouble because he was on quality control and he stopped a whole pallet full of products from going out the door being mislabeled, saved us a ton of time and money. And we're like, hey, let me tell you Jackie's story. Let me tell you about the amazing human being that Jackie is and what difference he makes on a daily basis. Nobody else has Jackie's story. I only have Jackie's story. So I get I get to find those organizations that want to hear about Jackie, that want to invest in Jackie, and want to be able to support folks like Jackie in developing them through through job skill training and development.
0: Stories and storytelling, and I know you're you're a fan of um, uh, Matt Zahn and, yeah. and the, uh, his storytelling workshops, etc. Um, I think I heard you on his podcast. Even is yeah. that true? Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. he's either, he. I love his perspective because. I, I don't understand why people don't tell more stories and the way that he lays it out and the way that he describes it has just been, I've I've been a witness to his, his workshops and seeing these like really smart, successful executives almost get humbled by the fact that they're like, Oh, we're, we're throwing data and we got flashy marketing and it's amazing. And you're like, yeah, but a story. Right. And so, yeah, I, I'm a, I'm a huge proponent. I love what he's doing. I love to, um, ride around with his coattail sometimes and just kind of hang out with him and just watch him do his thing because seeing the light bulb come on for people is just like they're like oh that's how it works you you sit through the stories
0: and you listen but a lot of times they're not happy stories they're, they're from sources of pain and and yeah. stress and stuff like that
1: yeah it's it's the right it's it's the, the struggle that kind of unifies i think one of the a quote that kind of came out in the pandemic, maybe it came from before, but it's like adversity begets ingenuity, right? It's we, we don't create things when there isn't an opportunity to overcome something. You know, we love to cheer for the underdog. We love to hear the, you know, the, the janitor to CEO success story, right. Which is way less prevalent these days because um, most places don't have janitors and, most, most people don't stay at a company long enough to go through that. But even like the, like the unicorn uh, startup companies that are like, they, you know, a couple of folks are in a basement or a garage, right. And start something up and then boom, they're Bill Gates or they're Jeff Bezos or, or whatever. Like we, we love those stories. We, we don't want to be in the story and have to struggle and suffer through the time that it takes but we love to hear those stories and have them to, you know encapsulated in a two-hour you know hallmark movie and just get it done you know
0: right right hey everyone this is james and i want to let you know that i recently launched a free email course called the five-day founder Bootcamp for creating a thriving corporate culture Now, I know that it can be stressful, maybe even frustrating at times trying to get everyone on your team working together to achieve your goals and objectives. Perhaps it's not that you're frustrated, but maybe you're just looking for a new, a better way to reignite that spark in your high performers. Whatever unique challenge that you're facing, well, I designed the Thriving Culture Guide keeping you in mind. Now think of this like attending a virtual boot camp, but here's the best part. You don't even have to leave your inbox. Each day contains some of my absolute best tactics and strategies to help you win at a game that your competition doesn't even know is being played. For example, the topic for day three addresses a topic that I get a lot of questions about. Like, James, how do we communicate and implement change through our culture? So you might be thinking, what if I'm not a founder? Is this still for me? Well, it is, and I just say it this way. If you're a conscientious leader who wants to improve the performance of your team, well, this guide was designed for you as well. Now, here's one of my favorite parts about this five-day course. You don't have to wait for days two, three, or four to show up in your inbox. Nope, this email boot camp was built to go at the pace that you want. So instead of patiently waiting, or maybe impatiently waiting for the next value pack lesson, you can click right on through and get it all at once. Go to thrivingcultureguide.com right now and get exclusive access today. You posted recently three life lessons, the top three things that took me from data entry to managing a corporation's charitable giving. And you started to list them out and you wrote a really cool post about this. And it was that post that day, I was like, I've been wanting to ask dan to come on this podcast this is the reason i'm going to do it and uh so the first thing that you talked about was work ethic dan mm-hmm. um what can you tell us about that from this life lesson and this work ethic
1: yeah so so again when i started at bentley 17 years ago now at this point um as a, t- as a data entry tab i again i was i was driving a truck for ups i got bit by a golden retriever. I know no one <laughs> believes me when I tell them it's a golden <laughs> retriever. Like they're the nicest dogs. I assure you this one was not, um, a buddy of mine was working at a staffing company. I was like, Hey, this company's hiring temps. Do you want to try this out? And I said, desks sound safer than dogs. So I showed up the first day full suit thinking it's a tech company right you got to be all fancy and so I showed up and there was like 30 or 40 of us on this Monday we're wheeled into a meeting room we're told what's going to happen and what we're going to um learn what we're going to do I'd never done data entry again I'd never seen a cubicle before in my life and I was like just give me the work like I'll, I'll do whatever you tell me to do right I'm uh you want me to scrub toilets you want me to go drive somebody somewhere I don't I'm indifferent right I'm no no better than anyone else and so so like, hey, here's here's the process Doc for doing doing this data entry. They were changing internal IT systems is what, what it was, and it created a backlog of, of data. And so we all show up on Monday. Again, there's like 30 or 40 of us. By Friday, there's three or four of us left. Now we had 12 packets of paper, like there was 12 scenarios. That's it. Right? And if it was scenario one, you just went through the steps and you just did the thing. So the following Monday. They brought in 30 or 40 more people just follow the process. And by Friday, there was only two or three of those folks left again. So this for weeks, this would happen Monday, a new pack of people would show up by Friday. Almost no one would be left. So all of a sudden, like there was like this cohort of like 12 or 15 of us that had been there from the beginning, mm. you know, and we're like, you know, we're guessing who's going to make it, who's not going to make it, you know, who's going to, who's going to make it through the meat grinder, this thing. And I was just like, Hey, just, whatever you've got, just tell me what to do. If you're going to pay me for my time, I'll work for you and do whatever we do. And we did it. And so it was at the end of almost like six months of that, where we were coming to the end of like the work was just slowing down drastically. And they said, Hey, how would you like a full-time job? And I was like, Oh, that sounds, sounds kind of nice. And they're like, "Well, well, we'll give you benefits. Now remember this is also 2007, right? So this is like in an area where benefits were like, they were a benefit. You know, it was actually right. nice to have. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I, I'm, I'm recently married. We just moved out to the area. That sounds like a great thing. And they said, awesome. Here is the instruction manual for one of our pieces of software. It was about a 300-page book about this thick. They said, if you can teach yourself the software in one week, you can have a job. Okay. So a week later, I find myself answering live phone calls from actual people engineers who are like college graduates and fully certified and licensed and they're asking me questions on how to use this software. Wow. Okay. And so just opportunities kept coming up like that where I would just continue working and they would just give you more stuff, right? You know, no no good deed goes unpunished, but also like no hard worker goes unseen because just things just kept coming and they would you know, here's a new thing, here's a new thing, here's a new thing. I just kept I just kept going, right? I would just assumed that I don't know. That's what you're supposed to do, and would slowly kind of move my way through the ranks a little bit there. And just one of the most striking things that hit me, I was probably about five, maybe six years in. There was two different guys. There was one guy who his skill set wasn't really that good. He just he just wasn't grasping the concepts. And there's another guy who was an engineer and came in and was helping out, but he didn't show up to work. He'd call out like a couple of days a week, and that type of a person kept coming through the group, right. Of tech support. But the guy that kept showing up every day, he kept getting, he, they kept keeping him, but the folks that would kind of slack off, they kept getting rid of them. Those, those people kept getting weeded out. And I was like, he's just showing up. I mean, he's responsible. He's, you know, attentive. He's, you know, when we ask him to do things, he does it. He helps out where he can, like, again, like he just wasn't retaining the information, But he was there. He was consistent. And I was like, man, there's something to this, like just showing up thing. And it kind of went back to like the work, work ethic qualities. Like if you just show up willing to work, whatever they ask you to do, then, then do it. I mean, obviously don't do anything immoral or something that goes against your own personal values, but it was like, just show up and, and do a good job. Like, as the bare minimum. And I didn't understand why other people wouldn't want to do that. And so I think that's what propelled me because I, you know, people start to recognize that you're willing to do things. You're willing to take on extra tasks. You are willing to take on extra responsibility and you do it well. They're willing to trust you more. Dan, don't you think though, that, that,
0: that was something that you always had? I mean, did you notice it early and, and it
1: was just untapped or was it something you knew that you'd always had? I think I, early, so I, before I was at UPS, I was, I did landscaping with a small, small business in Philadelphia. That's hard work. That's hard work. I found myself, I don't, so side note, side thing about me. I don't like games. I don't like board games. I don't like card games. I don't, I don't like, I genuinely don't like to compete against other people. Sure. I don't, I don't find it rewarding for me to beat you at something. I'm pretty good at most things too. Like in that, like math comes easy, those sorts of things. And so like it becomes less fun for me when I beat other people. So Mm -hmm. I found early on to compete against myself. So whether it was cutting grass and I I would do the weed whacking and I would try, I would time myself. How fast can I do this house? How fast do I think I could do this when I was delivering packages for, for UPS, how many stops can I do in an hour? You know, and then when we got to doing the data entry, how many, how many things can I process in an hour? And so like I would just I just went up competing against myself. And since I wasn't paying attention to what anyone else was doing, it it like it comes out looking a lot like work ethic. Mm-hmm. Is that this natural competition with myself, because not I'm not putting you down, I'm not putting you up, I'm not putting me down, not putting me up. I'm just I've got this internal desire to want to do better than I did before. And I think that's um where that kind of came from. Thank you for explaining that because
0: I hadn't really ever heard it explained that way. You know, I think a lot of people just say, ah, you know, I've always been, I've been a hard worker or whatever, or my parents instilled that value in me or whatever it is. But, but from that perspective of competing against yourself, I think there's something really kind of cool about that, which is if you're competing against others, that's where you can really slip into uh, pridefulness, that ego, that arrogance, and uh, I'm better than you. And and that can really start to manifest in a bad way. I was uh, growing up always a big fan of, of college basketball, still am. Jimmy Valvano was the NC State coach that won the national title, and I think it was in 83, maybe 84, but I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure 83. But he, he gave this remarkable speech. He's mostly known for his um, SB speech where he was... Mm-hmm. Near the end of his life, dealing with cancer, but before that, like in eighty four or five, he was given a speech and he talked about work ethic. and He said, "I don't try to outwork everyone else." He said, "I'm just going to show up and work as hard as everyone else." And I mm-hmm. thought, man, that was kind of profound. and And it's a lot of pressure if you're always trying to outwork others. And again, not necessarily a healthy spot there.
1: And, yeah. and I think that's kind of similar to what you were saying. Yeah, I mean, there definitely were times where, especially in tech support, right? We were responsible for Closing so many service tickets a day or whatever. Yeah. And there were like, there was one year where, you know, in a very unhumble way, I, bl- I blew the doors off of everyone else. And I was like, I I walked around like I was, I was the, the cock of the walk sort of thing. Right. I thought I was, man, I was a man. Yeah. And nobody cared. Like nobody cared. And I got so deflated because I was like, I I'd, I'd attached my identity to, this thing that didn't really matter. And I was like, oh. Okay. Well maybe I'll just beat my own record next month then. Like I just I decided just to just just to compete against myself because it just it was easier and it was it was more rewarding for me to know that I was doing what I needed to do and I was carrying my own load and just I wasn't again I wasn't trying to put anyone else down anymore.
0: Attached my identity. <laughs> Yeah. Right. So, so again, I, I know you're open about your faith. I'm yeah. open about my faith. What's been your biggest
1: um, growth moment in, in your identity? So one of the things in the last role that I held, right. So again, it's weird for me to talk about it cause it, it's, it's funny. I never realized how little I talked about what I actually did and like the specifics to even my wife or my friends, because when I when I left, they were like, well, you don't do anything. Right. Because I, I played it <laughs> off like it was it was a very comfortable job. It had a lot of flexibility and I was very, very thankful for it. Like I can't I can't explain the the blessing that it has been for my family for the past couple of years. And so but there was like maybe somewhere around a like, year, like two or three. Again, I, I gave away millions of millions of dollars in my career. And for lack of a term, like the amount of money that I was giving away could solve anybody's problem at any one time. But I was still just the dude that had to run to Wegmans to get my kid medicine at 9 o'clock at night. Wegmans is a grocery mm-hmm. store around us. Sorry. Um, you know, I had to run to the store and get my kid medicine at 9 o'clock because my wife had to stay home with the other kid, like with both kids. You know what I mean? Like... And so, like, there was this act of like this realization of what I do professionally doesn't carry any weight day to day. And so, whether it's helping somebody change a flat tire on the side of the road, it's scrubbing toilets in my own house, it's cutting the grass, it's helping a friend move, like, I, eventually I, I, I realized that, you know, it's not my money, they're not my guidelines. I I can't take it with me in terms of like my, like I couldn't like go out into the community and just be like, Hey, here's $10,000, go do whatever you want to do. And so it was this process that God had in my heart where I started to think that I was important, but realizing like the things that I was trying to attach myself to that were important were not things I had any control or any responsibility for, right? Like I would never, not once did I ever sell a single product. I was never responsible for any revenue coming into the company. I was always an expense, right? And tech support, you were, you were an expense. You know what sure. I mean? Like you were, you were a necessary evil <laughs> a lot of times. Um, and you were treated that way too. And so <laughs> and there's nothing I've ever done in my, in my career where I, I helped the bottom line of the company. And so having to finally realize like I'm a steward of this money. It's not mine. At the end of the day, if, if I made a mistake, I'm responsible for the outcome, but, um, I don't get the, like, I don't get the, the, the rah, rah pomp and circumstance because I like, I just said yes or no, hmm. you know? And so it, it did take a little while for God, God to do that work in my heart and help me to, help me to recognize. Cause like I would, I would walk around in the grocery store thinking that I was more important than some of the other people, you know? Not knowing their stories, just making assumptions based on how they looked, but more times than not, I'd show up at the grocery store in sweatpants. And so like you wouldn't know that I was managing millions of dollars by the by the look of me, by the, you know, Toyota Corolla that I drive. Like, (laughs) you know, you see the fancy salespeople come in and they're driving their really nice, you know, German cars, and you're like, oh, they must be they must be successful because they spend a lot of money on a car. Like, my car goes from A to B as well. You know, it gets it gets me where I need to go, and so being able to recognize that I the skills that I have came because of the situations and the circumstances I've been involved in. Some of it because I am the son of my my father and mother. You know, some of their like the inherent genetics of of who I am and what I do, but a lot of it because of the adversities I'd been through. Right, um, growing up in a public school, being overweight and and being able to transition the teasing and taunting into being the class clown, being able to you know, turn it from they're laughing at me to now they're laughing with me, to liking to perform, to liking to work hard, to deciding that it's a lot easier to compete with myself than someone else. And it's much more satisfying as well because I, I didn't like the feeling of someone else losing my, my niece who she's now 23 as a child, she'd play tic-tac-toe with you and she would intentionally lose. Like there's something in our family where we don't like other people to lose. I don't like, it's, it's not something we've ever talked about. It's not something we've ever, it's like, it's in our genetics somewhere. Yeah. Um, and she would intentionally like at four, she would intentionally lose tic-tac-toe with you. And I'm like, this kid's weird. I mean, she's <laughs> awesome, but she is still weird. Um, <laughs> and so just it's, it's some of those things that kind of came together and it was like, and if at any day, and I, I've, I've said it multiple times, if at any day one of the executives came and they're like, hey, you know what? We're done. You're done here. I'm like, great. Awesome. Thanks. Like they, they paid me every penny they ever said they would. They never like, there was never a question if the money was going to show up. It was never a question if they were, they were never going to ask me to do anything immoral. they were never going to ask me to do anything against my values. They were, it was just a lot of integrity at the company. And so I was like, okay, it's my responsibility to make sure I have my, my focus in the right direction because there, there's this agreement, right? They're giving me a place to go and to work. They're going to pay me a certain amount of money. And what they asked me to do, I'm just going to do it. I'm gonna get it done as best as I can because that's the agreement we came to, right? It didn't, didn't say on my, my paper that I was going to slack off, that I was going to scroll YouTube all day that I was, you know, I'll be paid for eight hours, but I can just put in three hours worth of work and that'd be okay. Right. Right. That wasn't the agreement. That's literally not the paper I signed. Yeah. You know, so I just figured I should just show up and work. And when I showed up and worked, it caught the attention of lots of other people because they found out that I knew what I was doing or I knew who else to ask the question. Um, Towards the end of my career, it was almost every week someone would reach out and say, hey, I know it's not you, but do you know who – dot, dot, dot. Right? Like after 15, 16 years at a company, you kind of know a lot of people and you kind of know who knows what they need to know. And so just very quickly, new folks would gravitate to me and be like, Hey, can you tell me how I find out this? Because also at a big company, it's hard to find information sometimes. How big of a company just had given, give give me a sense of like, how many employees are there? Uh, 5,000 globally. Oh, it was a, a billion dollars over a billion dollars in sales when I left. That's a great, tremendous company. Yeah. Well, we're, we're talking today here
0: with Dan Koval, and Dan, we're in the middle of talking about three life lessons that you had. We just kind of covered work ethic, but we talked about identity and just all sorts of really good things. The second thing that you had mentioned in your post uh, was this willingness to learn and, you mentioned that you're a college dropout of of twice you say. I'm just curious on that part there before we get into it. What was it about college that wasn't right for you? Because I can very much relate to this. I I am a college dropout myself.
1: Yeah. I I never liked school in general. It never felt challenging enough. Mm. Because I was stuck at the pace of everyone else. Yep. And so like that then made me feel like I was I was winning and they were losing. I think a lot of this stuff kinda winds of up tying together when I think about it holistically. Um right, like math came v- like absurdly easy to me. I will say I single-handedly carried two or three friends through high school algebra. <laughs> um because we had graphing calculators and you could put answers in the calculators and you know, they would I'd make sure they got like eighty-fives on their tests. Like they would just write whatever answer I wrote and um I'd get a ninety-nine, they'd get an eighty-five. Um, but I I love to learn. I love, I love trivia, trivia. I love facts. I love new things. I think it's great to just like, there's so much I don't know, but there's so much I want to know. And I guess my understanding is that if you know something, James, right? If you, if you figured out how to do, whether it's you may, you figured out how to write a book, you figured out how to build a shelf, you figured out how to drive a car, you figured out how to do whatever. Like I just assume I could probably figure it out too. Or I could mm-hmm. follow the steps that you did to figure it out as well. Yeah. And so <clears throat> back when they handed me that that book, the manual to the the piece of software, I didn't look at it and go, oh, that's a really big book. How am I ever going to do this? I went, okay, well, there's a lot of people that use the software. So it can't be that hard, right? It, it can be intense. It could be big. It could be a lot. But if the parameters were I had a week to learn it, sounds like a week's the right amount of time, right? I'm just naive enough to take people at face value, I guess. I love how you are describing this idea of,
0: of learning and asking questions and just realizing that if somebody else has done it, then they figured it out. I I can figure that out. I think there's a level of self-assurance to that. Don't you think? That's kind of where some of that is.
1: Yeah. And I think along those same lines, like so, one of the things I had to prepare myself for, right. So I went from, doing a job that I'd done for seven years. So I was at the pinnacle of my career, right? Everything was super easy, right? And so when I'm explaining it to other people, what I do, they're like, oh, that sounds like so much, right? Which yeah. it, it was, but then coming to a new job, I had to remember, okay, I just left a job where my my talent level, my ability level, the ease at which I did it was really, really high, right? Like it was just simple. I'm coming into a new job that's completely different and my talent level and my ease and my ability to do it's going to be super, super low sure. and I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to relearn again. And so like having to recognize, like, don't get frustrated with the steps to education, mm. right? Don't get frustrated in learning because we're not born knowing anything, right? I've, I've heard it said we're, we're born with, fear of two things. That's about all we're born with is the mm-hmm. fear of falling, the fear of loud noises. Mm-hmm. And beyond that, everything else is, is a learned behavior, right? You, you know, that there are those parents that they could tell what, what their kid needs based on the baby's cry. They're like, Oh, they're they're They need her diaper change. And I'm like, that was not me. I had, there was like, there was like five things I knew my kids needed. Like they were like hungry, tired, wet, some like heard, I forget what they are now, but like it was like a checklist of five that every time they cried, I'm like, okay, one, two, okay, we're three, we need three. You know what I mean? It was like that's because yeah. that's that's just I knew that there was this checklist to do, and if I just went through this checklist, sometimes two or three times, that I that I'd get there. But in terms of of learning, um, you know, when I learned the software, when I moved into the internal IT role, so I had been at the tech support job for about seven and a half, almost eight years. I received an award for being like the best in the world that went in 2012. And I feel like I kind of like hit the pinnacle, right? It was like, I don't know all that I could do. So I went to a director. She was in turn of like internal services. And I was like, hey, I was like, I want a job. I was like, I'm bored. Give me something else to do. And she's like, oh, well, this role is opening up. What do you know about this particular Microsoft product? I was like, I, I don't even know what it's called. Like she told me like the acronym. I'm like, I don't know what that stands for sounds like fun and she's like okay do you think you can learn it and I was like did the person before learn it no. so, you know like <laughs> right. let, let, let me add it like yeah, give me the manual give me the books give me the wiki articles like you know this is before like YouTube was this was 20 yeah 2012 2013 something like that so like oh man that's,
0: yeah so YouTube wasn't this full of right. learning to do anything
1: right it's, it's, it's a whole different story now kids have it easy right. these days these kids <laughs> um, just kidding they have it harder in a lot of ways but I was just, again, willing, like, uh, I'll learn something, you know, give me, give me the opportunity to, to learn and try it and see if it's something I want to be able to do. Um, and so I had the guy, one of the people to help create this infrastructure, this digital infrastructure. He, he was like, I'll show you how to do it in two weeks. And I was like, let's do it. And then from there, a lot, a lot of it had to do with like, I've got a real crash course in Excel and formulas and nesting formulas in Excel and creating pivot tables man i can i can create you some fancy pivot tables if you want uh but it was i just i just assumed it was possible and i tried it and i'll never forget one of my like my second or third manager in tech support the guy Dan Abney great guy he uh i was trying to explain a problem to him at one point and he's like go search on the web i'm like wait i'm like we are a at the time like a 700 million dollar year company and i was like and this is for like a multi-million dollar client. I was like, you want me to just go Google search something? And he goes, <laughs> here's what you have to understand. He's like, within 30 minutes of you running into a problem, somebody else somewhere in the world has also run into that same exact problem. And they've documented the solution on the internet. And I was like, there's no way. There's no way whatsoever. Man, I'll tell you, it's true every time. I have yet mm. to find a problem that someone else hasn't had before me and has a solution already out there for me on the internet. Like it's crazy. I I noticed, and I wanted to make sure that I brought this into the conversation because you
0: mentioned the art of Googling as a needed skill. And, and I, as I read that, I was like, this is really good because I think it's one thing to have a resource to look up information, but, but especially now with AI and Mm -hmm. prompting AI to do certain things, you're literally having to think different because a lot of times you can type something in, in the the search string that I might put in to find the answer or the solution to a problem I have. Mm -hmm. I don't put the right words in there because the search results, I'm not clear on what I'm asking. I'm not Mm -hmm. using, I'm using my own jargon, not their jargon or whatever Mm -hmm. it is. So you have to get smarter. And I think the, the key to that skill from the curiosity is learning how to ask the right questions in the right way.
1: Right. Cause we, we come with our assumptions and our biases, right? Like totally. We, we all have them. And so like, I mean, my kids are super guilty of this and we're trying to help them through it. And they're like, I can't think of a question, but they'll be like, like how's Tuesday? I'm sorry. What did you say? Yeah. How's Tuesday? I'm like, it's Friday. What are you talking about? is it okay if I do my laundry on Tuesday? I'm like, oh, that is a completely different question with some context. Right. But that's how we treat Google. That's how we treat a lot of this AI stuff. Like I I love these folks that are putting together all these prompts for people. Um, I personally have not dabbled in in AI just yet, but I'm hoping to get in there eventually Um, because it looks fun. But the the reality is is if you don't ask the right question with the right context, um, there was a gentleman the other night Who was, he prompted ChatGPT, hey, tell me about Billy Smith, whatever, whatever the person's name was, right? And ChatGPT brought back a couple paragraphs, but it was like this guy from California that was a singer-songwriter, not this local business owner. right? And so it's like, okay, well, tell me about Billy Smith that owns such and such company in Exton, Pennsylvania. Boom. It came back with a page and a half of stuff Mm -hmm. on this guy because the context was more specific and you're able to do it. Right. There is, there's certain language that works in a Google search works in the AI prompts that if you don't ask the right questions, you're going to get the wrong answer. Right. And so we, we have to be mindful of what, what paradigms we're bringing to the table when we're saying things, we're just assuming people know, you know,
0: Well, I think that's, you know, I run into this all the time, talk about it frequently. The number one thing that every company says on any type of survey is, you know, they can be great in all these areas, but the one universally consistent thing that we're weakest in is communication. Mm -hmm. And it's it's not because we're not putting out tons of information. In fact, I think we're doing almost too much at times. Yeah. It's yeah. that it's not relevant to me or I don't understand the relevance that it has to me. That's the gap. And every, every time that there's a, a communication gap, mm-hmm. it will cause eventually a performance gap. And that's when we, st- we see it. Most people don't work backwards to figure out why mm-hmm. there was this communication issue. They'll just say, well, we're going to throw communication under the bus or we're going to just, you know, try to address the put a bandaid over the, the problem instead of figuring out how did we get there? Like what's causing that? What can we do better next time? Yeah. And I think that's huge.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's 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 not like it kind of goes back to the, the sales analogy, right? Are you just trying to get someone to give you money or are you discovering what their what what their process looks like and how you can help it? Yeah. Maybe you're not solving a problem, right? I, I genuinely think sales doesn't have to be solving a problem, but it's making your life better. Right? If you've got a way of doing it better, faster, cheaper, tell me about it. Yeah. You know, if there listen, I could I could walk to work. I live fifteen blocks from where I work now, right? I could I could walk to work. I could be very happy walking to work. I could be very healthy walking to work. Maybe I get rain on occasionally, but I'm getting to work, right? There's no problem. I get up at a certain time, I go home at a certain time, it all works. But if you're like, "Hey, check out this car. It'll get your work faster." I didn't have a problem, but now I've got a better method. Right? Mm-hmm. And I think I think too often we think that we just need to solve everyone else's problems. And that's one thing I'm I'm very guilty of is where I have to, you know, if I'm having a conversation with my wife, I have to say, is this a listening conversation? or a solving conversation because sure. yeah. I, I default to solving the problem, right? I just, sure. I just want to fix it, right? I want to fix everything. And so sometimes I have to slow myself down and say, do you just need me to listen? Cause I can do that. <laughs> that's a I, great just, question. I yeah. just, I just need to know in, in advance that that's what you need me to do. So
0: I'm talking with Dan Koval, and uh, we're in the middle of talking about three life lessons that he has figured out. And so our first was uh, uh, the work ethic conversation a willingness to learn is where we just covered. And now we're going to talk about what it means. He wrote going the extra mile. And the thing that I picked up here in your post that I thought was really key, that's not my job. Quote unquote is Mm -hmm. an absolute cancer to an organization. Tell
1: me about that. I get chills myself. Um, If you have any organization be it a sports team, be it a club, be it a company, be it a nonprofit, be it a board, whatever. The moment that people think that their only, their responsibility ends at a specific line in the sand is when you have isolation. And I, I I believe we were created to be connected. I believe that when, when God created us, he intended for us to have not just connection with him, but with each other. Mm -hmm. And so, when you have this attitude of isolation, it's it's impossible to thrive, right? Even even something as simple as as a plant. I'm doing landscaping. I was very big into horticulture. I know I'm way too nerdy about plants, but there are certain cells in a plant that do certain things, right? Just like in our bodies. And so the plant needs the chlorophyll in the leaves to attract the sunlight, to generate energy so that the roots can grow to get nutrients so that the xylem and phloem can move the nutrients in the water up and down to the, to the petals and the stoma so that the pollen can be created so that the fruit grows. Like it's this whole big cycle. But could you imagine if the roots were like, I'm not, I'm not sucking up nutrients for you flower. I'm saving them for me so I can grow deeper. Like that wouldn't make any sense. But for some reason, we allow this in our companies where it's like, okay, your job is sales. So all you can do is sell people. You don't – once you make the sale, then you're done. You don't have to worry about anything else. Just make the sale. And it's like, no, no, your, your job is the relationship or in tech support. My job is to answer questions. I don't, I don't have to be nice to anybody. I'm solving their problems. So they should appreciate me anyway, mm. you know, and so – And you hit that, right? There there are plenty of people everywhere that just, that's not my job, comes up. And I just, I just I never understood it because I didn't see my job as a job. I saw my responsibility is to do what I had to do to help, we call them users in the software world, help the user be successful, right? And whatever that looked like. Maybe I had to stay late that day. Maybe I had to send three extra emails. Maybe I had to go ask somebody else a question and bring them into the conversation. And I just felt like if I was the contact for you, if you finally got a hold of me and I'm the human being you found, then it's my responsibility to make sure that we got all your problems solved and you're satisfied when we, when we end the conversation, whether it's three weeks from now, because we've been working with the developers to rewrite the code, to issue a, a patch, or it's, we're talking about sales to get your account straightened out because there's a miscommunication and they so, thought you used too much.
0: Let me ask you a question, Dan, in your opinion, cause I have my own thoughts on this mm-hmm. too, but I, I'm just more curious about what your thoughts are on this is it, sometimes when I think when we, um, you know, that's not my job. Okay. It, it's kind of like I've, I've washed it off. It's not my issue. You know, my hands are clean. They're free of this. Is that because of arrogance? Is it is it because a lack of care? Is it because a lack of uh, of commitment to the work? Is it maybe all of those? Is it something else? What what are your thoughts?
1: I mean, I think I can. I think it can be at both end. I think it can be. I'm here from nine to five. This is what I do. I check these boxes. I process this paperwork, and that's what that's what I'm paid for. Right? Sure. It's it's very very transactional approach.
0: And let me just assert something here. Mm-hmm. That's not necessarily a bad thing. It's a mm-hmm. necessary mm-hmm. thing.
1: Right. Oh, totally. Right. right. If, there, if there isn't a transaction, then, then something's awry. Right. If you're right. not being paid yeah. for your efforts, there's there's a problem. Or if you're not producing effort, there's a problem. But I think, again, to think that you exist in this isolation is just wild. To, it's, it's a wild perspective for me to, to try to understand. But I think part of it comes from at least the American burnout culture. Mm-hmm, right. Mm-hmm. And I think it's becoming more and more evident in, in that regard. And then, and so I think it's becoming more and more prolific in the way that it shows itself is that I only have X number of hours in a day. I can only solve so many problems. So I'm going to just push this off, but I've found for, in my own experience that when I, when I do take that time to go the extra mile, to do the extra thing, to provide the extra help, kind of going back to the, the question that I used to get all the time of like, hey, I know this isn't your job, but can you can you point me in the right direction? Like, yeah, it's annoying to an extent to, to get that email once a week, but I've now just made a friend. I've now sure. made an ally. I've now created a relationship and deepened a relationship where someone wants to, they're going to want to help me when I need it too. And I'm gonna need help. I'm confident I'm gonna need as much help as I can possibly get because I can't do everything on my own. And so I believe in the in the in the law of sowing and reaping. And so I'm I'm willing to sow as much good stuff out there and in hopes that I'm able to reap those benefits down the road down the road. Maybe I do, maybe I don't, but I'd rather more people think that I'm a I'm a kind, loving, helpful person than not.
0: Well, Dan, let's uh as we kind of Bring this together here. We started the conversation today talking about you, your previous career where you gave millions of dollars away over your career. And I'm assuming that's tens of millions of dollars. It's a big number, big number. And Big number, yeah, and <laughs> and so now you have transitioned into a, a, a new role. I think there might be people that are wondering why would you leave that role. Mm-hmm. You and I briefly spoke about that offline. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd kind of like to go back to that because I that was one of those moments where I was, man, I wish I hit record already. <laughs> but but what what do you feel yeah, like? Um, in yeah, so I was telling you
1: that so. That so I've been in that role specifically for close to seven years. It was somewhere around the pandemic time frame. Cause some of the job stuff changed a little bit, right? Like travel was an option. Like literally I was traveling international a couple of times a year before that. And I loved it. It was, it was great. It was so much fun. Um, but then travel stopped. Some of the interaction stopped. Some of the direct impact stopped. And I started to like reevaluate like, okay, what do I want to do? And so over those pa- next couple of years, I did start to put some feelers out. I did apply for other roles thinking, Oh, th- this is the natural next progression for me. This is where this is where I should go. This is what I should do. Here's what I can see. Here's my perspective. And man, if God didn't slam some doors in my face in the most like awful ways possible, like, ooh, like I basically got ghosted for a position with an. So nine times out of ten, there were there were organizations that I was already had a relationship with because of my job. Like I, sure. I kind of knew I was going into the nonprofit world, and so I, for one of my applied for, I applied for the the role, and I didn't know that I didn't make it any further in the the process until the new hire reached out to introduce themselves, and I was like, ooh, that, golly, that hurts. That hurts a whole bunch. Like, talk about a sharp sword to your ego. Like that was. That was like that was bad. That was that was that was definitely a uh, identity check moment for me of like, okay, where am I putting my faith and trust in? Am I am I trusting myself and my own understanding, or am I or am I laying it before God and being like, okay, not my will, but yours be done, sort of thing. And so I had earlier in 2023, I'd submitted a proposal to my my then boss and was like, hey, here's here's what I here's what I see happening in this department. Here's what I see happening, and here's what I see. The programs going and things developing and growing and maybe a team coming around and we having some more, more opportunities to kind of really like grow this outside of the U.S. because they did a lot of stuff around the globe but there's still there's more opportunities everywhere and it was a nope not right now that's not what we're doing can't do it not in the budget right and that kind of knocked the the wind out of my sails but in that process I had reached out to another phenomenal contact on, on LinkedIn, Claire Davis, who that is a phenomenal woman. And she's a really, really smart human being. She had helped me craft what I felt the job description would be for my, that next step up. So I was just like kind of a, a regular person and I wanted to go to director level. And so her and I worked together. She helped me. And now her, most of her skills are in like the resume writing, but she was like, Oh, I could totally help you with this. And I was like, great. So she did a really phenomenal thing where she asked me to reach out to six or seven of my main contacts that work with me and have them describe what assets I bring to the relationship. And then she used those to fill in the blanks of what some of the qualities and character assets of the person filling this role should look like. So she crafted this job description explicitly for me, which was I was like, man, I, I feel like I feel pretty amazing. Thanks, Claire. Like you're you're awesome. You make, you make me feel good about myself. And so, you know, submitted that and everything got everything got kaboshed. So that was beginning of the year February, April, February, March timeframe, whatever. And so when I went to turn in my resignation, my boss was like, oh my gosh, how are we ever gonna like? I don't really. You know, I don't know the intricacies of what you do. I'm not as familiar with all the programs you're running. You know, this and the other thing, because I had just moved under her only like four or five months prior. And I was like, well, hey, here's this great job description here. If you want to use this to try to fill the role. And darned if they didn't almost verbatim take what Claire wrote That's and cool. put on the internet. Because I was like, I sent it to Claire. I was like, hey, Claire, check this out. Look what you did. Um, which is super cool because... While I was there, and while I, like as as before, God brought this opportunity to move into development in the nonprofit world, um, I had kind of reserved myself to like, nope, here's where I need to be. I need I need to be the best steward I can be for Bentley. I need to do the best job I can. I need like I would started slacking off a little bit, you know, full confession and kind of like riding riding the waves and just enjoying the the freedoms and the luxuries that I was I was enjoying and. So I said, that's not right. That's not God honoring. That's not being a good steward. Being a good steward of his, of his resources he's blessed me with. And so I said, hey, I'm going to double down. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a good effort. And it was around that time when things started really clicking that this opportunity came around. And I was like, that doesn't make sense. But he just started opening doors and windows and made it very evident despite terrifying to leave what I knew for 16 years and go somewhere completely different. But I was just telling some of my coworkers this morning, I was like, it feels right. Hmm. Like there was like looking back, there was like, like I definitely felt like I was being like the baby bird being pushed out of the nest. Like, okay, go fly now. Like (laughs) you are old enough. We've, you've taken, we've given you enough. We've given you all we can. We've taught you all the things we can here in this nest. Right. Now I just need to spread my wings and fly. It just feels very natural now.
0: So, so, well, Dan, uh, as we wind it down here, one of the things I always like to do is, is people who are are hearing you for the first time, uh, they may want to contact you. They want to get to know you. Maybe just, they want to share a story with you or pick your brain or whatever it might be. What's the best way for people to get a hold of you?
1: Yeah, I I appreciate that. And I would, I totally welcome that. I mean, I, I've got some crazy stories um, and some great ones that I would, and I'd love to hear other people's stories as well. If they have experience in the funding or the nonprofit world, I'm I'm open to learning. Um, LinkedIn is probably the best way to find me. Um, There's a couple of Dan Kovals out there, but I'm the only one making the world a better place. So, (laughs) (laughs) Or so so says my tagline, (laughs) self-proclaimed world changer.
0: There you go. I love it. I love it. Any closing thoughts as we, as we wind this down,
1: any wisdom that you want to, uh, to leave behind. Yeah. I think if, if someone finds themselves in a position where they feel like they're getting too big, right. Too big, too big of a fish in a small pond sort of thing to take a minute and think about it. You know, I, I think that cause when the job description for this role was given to me and I even shared it with my wife, like I, I just, just forwarded it to her. I didn't say anything about it. Right. Because people send me job options all the time because I know a lot of people. Sure. And my wife's response was, this looks like you. And I said, oh, that's what I thought, too. Hmm. Like, you, you never know who you're going to be until you start trying to find out who you are. W- right.
0: Wonderful. Well, Dan, uh, again, thank you for being on the episode today. This was a lot of fun for me. Uh, So many great nuggets, so many great little stories in there. And I kind of think I'd like to have you back on because you've you've mentioned a couple of times, like I've got some pretty crazy, cool stories. Maybe we could just do a podcast on some of those cool stories sometimes. Thanks again for being here. I appreciate you very much. All right. We'll catch you all next time on the next episode of Confidence Covered by Humility.